Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we're talking about 1979's Alien on the season four opener of Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from outer space, where people have a very hard time hearing you scream. This is the <laughs> Kill by Kill podcast, where we're dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the character. So we're going to unpack all the goriest of details of 1979's sci-fi horror classic, Alien, in the hopes that a Waylon yutanis employees uh death is just the beginning of the jokes that we might make at their expense and as always there's only one person i trust that if i come down with the case of the alien down my throat she will keep me outside the fucking spaceship like she's supposed to the one the only gina radcliffe how are you doing today gina i'm, I'm so i'm so excited because i believe this is the first time that we have taken on a a sci-fi movie that isn't terrible <laughs> Because are you saying, are you saying done... 1981's Galaxy of Terror isn't a hidden classic? Because there are very few movies that involve psychic maggot rape. I, I am saying that, and I am saying that Leprechaun in Space was also <laughs> not a good movie. But here but we there, are talking about... there's a drag show in the middle of it for no particular reason, and the Leprechaun jumps out of somebody's penis. You're saying this doesn't rise to the level of 1979's classic Alien but, but here we are talking about not just a good science fiction movie, perhaps the best science fiction movie. It can be argued. Absolutely. And uh, certainly a one, one that holds up uh, in comparison to so many that have tried to copy it over the years. But before we go too far into that deep, dark space uterus and find ourselves surrounded by ravenous xenomorphs, uh, I don't want to scare you, Gina. We are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. And of course, you know him from dozens of movie and television appearances over the years, from Bridesmaids to Grey's Anatomy. And if uh, you're in Southern California where those L.A. people, you can catch him and Drew Drogi as they return to the Dynasty Typewriter stage on Wednesday, February 2nd for their show. It's Mitch and Drew, and we've <laughs> never felt younger. The one the only Mitch Silver. How are you doing? Hi. I'm so thrilled to be talking about this movie. I <laughs> love this movie. And it I, is awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, so many movies have copied it. It's so good. And it's, it totally it's holds up. It's wild um, how uh, all the components of it uh, live beyond it. And yet, it took a lot of people ahead of time to make it such a classic. And we'll get to that. But before we do that, I, I think usually when we uh, launch into a new franchise, we always talk about the first time that we saw it. And Mitch, you are the uh, yeah. sort of alien virgin, as it were, of this particular crew. Well, I'm only 21 years old. <laughs> no, I, I somehow. The babe. Yes. This was my first time seeing Alien, which is really weird because I love movies and i I pride myself on my movie knowledge. Alien just got away from me. I And I weirdly have seen Aliens, which mm -hmm. I love. But Alien just kind of came out at a time where I was just, I couldn't handle scary movies, I sure. guess. It always was, I was told it was so scary. But now, I mean, I'm kind of glad I saw it now as a full-on adult. It's so, I don't, it's so good. Yeah, um, yeah it's my first time. So this was, this was it. It was a week oh. ago. 
Excellent. Uh, Gina, uh, when was the first time you saw Alien? You know, I don't remember exactly when the first time I saw it was, but I remember, I have a very distinct memory of being about seven years old and overhearing my aunt talking about having gone to see it in the theater and being absolutely appalled by the chestburster scene. Sure, yeah. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and, and, you know, of course you, you know, you kind of get an idea in your little child brain about what that might look like. Mm-hmm. And somehow, incredibly, it actually is even worse than I imagined <laughs> what it would look like. <laughs> Um, this movie had such a, a, a cultural tale to it. And for the longest time, it was somehow, I don't know, it was put in a little box that was entitled gross. And even for me, like I did not see it until after I saw Aliens. Um, we will get into my alien story. I think I've told it on the podcast before. My cousins were supposed to take me to see Top Gun. And uh, there was a, a group across from us in line that were waiting to see aliens and they freaked out at the idea that they were going to see aliens. And so we swapped tickets with them and my cousins took me to see aliens. And I was, I came in one person and I came out another and I immediately saw, sought out alien, a movie that had scared the very idea of it had frightened me, even though every element had been spoiled for me by mad magazine. Yes. Yeah. Same with me. I knew everything that was going to happen and still it was great. Yes. And, and side note, I think you got so lucky. Aliens is so much better than Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. With the exception of that one volleyball scene, it's a lot of gum chewing. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, they know how to play beach volleyball in jeans. They sure do. Um, <laughs> so for me, like alien, like meant this gross thing. I was never going to be able to see. It was just verboten to me as a young sheltered Mormon boy. And then uh, the other component that always stuck out to me was the film's tagline, which I was introduced to with one of my first jobs, which was at a uh, appliance warehouse and furniture place called Chatham and Becker in La Crescenta, California. And in the warehouse where all these massive refrigerators and washing machines are that I, as a frail 75 pound weakling, whoever, like I was a tiny boy and I would have to haul these up to the top floor to get them out to people's cars and vans and whatnot. On the wall, someone had spray painted, God knows how long ago, at Chatham and Becker, no one can hear you scream. (laughs) This, This is a warehouse in which I was the only person in just constantly surrounded by shadows. It just, it, it was frightening as hell. There was no outside light. And so that all of that just built up the dread, the dread, the dread of what Alien was. And then when I saw it, like my life became Alien and Aliens. This, yeah. was, this was what I was going to dedicate my life to uh, being a part of. Like I wrote a script for Alien 3 in my dad's garage on his oh. ancient computer. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Me too. I want to read it. (laughs) No, you don't. I do. I really do. (laughs) Oh, it's nothing good. I promise you. No, it's even better. I want to read it. The most obvious idea of what an Alien 3 could be. There are no space monks in in my (laughs) Alien 3. Uh, But for those of you who are, I don't know, like I, I need at least some kind of plot synopsis, Patrick. I, I, I can't, I can't get past this. Well, good news, because I found something that's going to help you. I'm going to read it for you now. It is my favorite interpretation 
of the alien film. Here we go. Spaceship people get up from sleeping coffin and have eat. Computer woman finds strange noises on planet and astronauts go to see. Astronauts find big elephant man who dead and then find too many egg. Astronaut is possesses by egg demon and new egg demon is come when they eat bad salad. Seven friends and cat all try to find egg demon before spaceship go home, but is working. Who will find who will life to escape? <laughs> who is bad milk blood robot? That's that's a big question. And scream not working because space make deaf. I, I'm just I'm just going to refer to Alien Forevermore as too many egg. It really is too many eggs. I will also have to disagree with one thing on that description. Mm-hmm. I don't think the cat was helping. No. <laughs> the cat was just being a total asshole. The cat was not helping. <laughs> really, really not helping at all. Um, when we when we talk about... So let's get into a little bit of backstory here of Alien before we get into... Wait, can I share one thing sure. when you mentioned in space uh-huh. no one can hear you scream? This yeah, is very juvenile, but I remember when I was a kid, people would say, in space no one can hear you fart. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like our clever parody of Alien. <laughs> Because really, both are true. Yeah, one's no more true than the other. Absolutely. No, no, it's just science when you think about it. Yes. Um, <laughs> I just that that memory came back to me. Anyway, go ahead. Alien is very much the definition of a collaborative effort, but it all starts with one man, America's favorite horror grump, uh, Dan O'Bannon. Um, his student film that he co-created with his US, USC classmate, John Carpenter, is entitled Dark Star. And you could see it as like a first draft of Alien. You know, it features some of the same elements. You got tired space truckers forced to deal with menial tasks for low pay. And an alien, just in this case, it's a painted beach ball instead of <laughs> your nightmares come to life. Instead of a haunted house in space. It's more of a nihilist stoner comedy for the most part. So you could call that Alien's egg stage. Uh, Still, the the genesis of Alien is crawling around in the air shafts of O'Bannon's head, and he gets hired to put together the special effects and design team for Dino DeLaurentiis' lavish production of Frank Herbert's Dune with midnight movie surrealist Alejandro Jodorowsky directing. So he carts himself off to Europe with not a dime to his name, and he gathers a list of creators who would, and I do not say this lightly, would go on to shape cinematic sci-fi and by extension popular culture for the next 40-plus years. You have French artist Mobius, you have Ron Cobb, you have Chris Foss, and a Swiss man once voted most likely to fuck your freestanding AC unit, H.R. Giger. <laughs> Jodorowsky's script, which uh, featured drawings and designs by himself and all of these other artists, sort of became a legend once the film itself fell apart. Uh, and as other filmmakers would go on to borrow from it liberally, including one fellow uh, USC nerd, George Lucas for a little flicky called Star Wars starring Luke Starkiller. So never, never heard oh. of it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but that uh, Yodorowsky's Dune book uh, was recently bought as an NFT by someone who is under the belief that he can now just make his own fucking Dune. <laughs> That's the fun. 
He's just going to make his own Dune series and sell it to Netflix. Sure. That's how copyright law works. I own a digital copy of something, like I borrowed it from the library, and I can do whatever the fuck I want with it. NFT bros, wake the fuck up. Okay, so Alien is about to enter the facehugger stage here because when Dune explodes, O'Bannon returns to America penniless and he ends up on the couch of his old school buddy, Ronald Shusett, who asks for help cracking a screenplay adaptation of Philip K. Dick's We Can Remember It For You Wholesale that will eventually become Total Recall. Can you imagine the amount of movies that are coming out of this one idea? (laughs) Yes. In exchange, O'Bannon needed help with his little alien idea and he was calling it Starbeast at the time. So Starbeast has a great hook that an alien would use any creature as a birthing system, and you couldn't just stab or shoot it because it has acid for blood. But it wasn't really any different than the dozens of other 50 sci-fi films that use the same spaceship crew destroyed by uninvited alien on board movies. At one point, they were so desperate in this that they were going to sell Starbeast to Roger Corman, and they he was about to buy it because they pitched it as Jaws in space. <laughs> mm. I can Which, see that a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it's not incorrect. It's not entirely correct. But yes, it's not no, it's not. Outer, yeah, it's not I, wild. I, I, I honestly thought you were going to say that that he took some of the ideas and turned it into Galaxy of Terror. <laughs> I mean, he took some of the sets and turned it into Galaxy of Terror, which he also turned into two other movies we have yet to cover. Gina, that are also using those same Big Mac uh, containers plastered to the walls as a spaceship. Uh, there's two more of them. So now we're kind of like the face hugger is, is popped out of an egg and it latches it itself onto the face of Walter Hill. So Walter Hill has a production company called Brandywine. He's got a, a shingle up at Fox. Fox is desperate for more sci-fi content because they just released Star Wars and everyone wants sci-fi right now. So he'll option Starbeast. And he had the idea to make it itself, but first he wanted to go through it, a pass with him and his producing partner, David Geiler. And they took a fair amount of time actually reworking uh, what doesn't work. So they take the setting, the story, the alien. And they just begin adding every sharp detail you can think of. They refine the characters. They layer the plot with, you know, pointed commentary. There's an actual ticking clock involved in their draft. And you get that after like that third act confrontation, there wasn't a secondary uh, sort of villain here. So instead of making it vague, they make Ash into a robot who's willing to sacrifice all of his crewmates just to get that alien back to Earth. And honestly... That is an elevation of the material. But yeah. O'Bannon is not jettisoned at all because uh, the final evolution of this alien is uh, filmmaker and hater of Zoomers, Ridley Scott. So Scott's keen eyes that he grafts all these brilliant ideas together in one proposal. He goes to Fox and he goes, all right, here's what O'Bannon has brought to the table. Here's all of these spacecraft designs. And here's this incredible biomechanical monstrosity that H.R. Giger has been masturbating to. And then we here's this version of the script and Fox goes, okay, we're doubling your budget in the room. Wow. This is, this is a go picture. Scott's the one who kind of figures out this is a haunted house in space, but it's not just one ship. It's the derelict ship and the Nostromo. They actually mirror one another even though they are not shaped the same way. Both ships have the same materials, 
in different designs. Both were created really not with human comfort in mind. They're very utilitarian. The sexual metaphor here goes beyond the alien life cycle and male rape. The Nostromo houses its sleeping people in a pristine artificial scrotum and injects them into the space jockey's uterus ship to create a bouncing baby xenomorph. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) And after the infestation of that alien, the Nostromo's interiors lose all that padded white luxury and you're just constantly in a tangled maze of oily black hardware that swallows every cast member but one. Um, and that is my introduction to Alien, everybody. Wow. Can you tell I've been waiting to talk about this fucking movie since I was a tween? It's very <laughs> that's, that's impressive. I, I, <laughs> I'm impressed. Uh, I, I, the one thing that I want to mention... Um, what you know, I, I may be stealing your thunder. This may you may want to mention this later. Is that uh, the chestburster scene? Yeah, was inspired by uh, Dan O'Bannon's uh, dealing with Crohn's disease, right. which yes. uh, I have that on good authority. That's a pretty accurate depiction of what a a, a Crohn's flare up feels. It feels like wow. It, it is it is intensely painful. Yeah. Um, and, and, and he, I mean, he died fairly young because from complications of it. The world would be better with O'Bannon still in it. Um, but Crohn's is, listen, I, I know people with it. It, it fucking sucks. It yeah. really does. And it makes you hate your own body. And to a certain extent, alien is all about one's relationship with our bodies, how sacrosanct they are to us and how easily they can be violated. And this isn't at all interesting in a world uh, that is relatively disease free as far as i can tell um not not like all. We're in the middle of a pandemic or anything everything is perfectly fine <laughs> right absolutely pristine and now we look at everything in the past and like they didn't have to wear masks <laughs> didn't have to do much of anything i mean i am glad that i'm past the wiping down my grocery stage I still, was- I still do it <laughs> I saw I saw PTSD, guys. I'm still wiping it down. Well, listen, whatever keeps you safe and sane, just, I think we should go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's pretty much uh the the plot and the background of Alien. So now we are left to really what is the main point of our podcast, and that is to talk about each and every one of these characters in the order in which they die. And so we are starting here with Kane, of course, is uh, is played by John Hurt. He was a replacement. Uh, they actually started this movie with a different actor, and he was unable to continue. Uh, Hurt was originally their number one choice, uh, but was, couldn't do it to, due to scheduling conflicts. So he came back in, and they reshot a fair number of the Kane scenes with John Hurt involved. I'm fascinated with finding out what he was no longer able to continue means with that actor. If I remember correctly, it was it was an actor by the name of John Finch. And the the first day of shooting, um, he had a severe bronchitis attack oh. and just could not go on. He was just not physically able to go on. Oh, that sucks. So, they started filming a bunch of other scenes that didn't involve Kane and then went back to the Kane stuff. Um, luckily, they had built the Nostromo with all the lighting packages built in. 
So they didn't need to pre-light anything. You, If you had to do something in a specific hallway, you just walked to that hallway. They set up a camera and they started rolling. Um, so that uh, kind of saved their bacon a little bit. Um, but Kane, he's not your prototypical hyper-masculine guy that you might assume would be in this role. In fact, I wouldn't say outside of Yafit Kodo, we have a super masculine prototypical dude in this entire movie. No, no, there really isn't. No. Um, Kane's more like a, he's more the space cowboy amongst space truckers. Cause he's the one who kind of wants to like, Oh, once I learn, I have a, this different mission. That's exciting. All of a sudden there's a twinkle in his eye. Like, Oh, yeah. I'm going to step on a planet. I wasn't supposed to go to. Let's do this thing. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I loved his character. <laughs> My favorite line of his is when they get down to the the planet's surface and they're like, "The listen, we can't see. We don't know where we're going. The signal is fading. And he goes, well, we have to go on. We we just have yes. to go on. Yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> Turn the fuck back. I, I, back. I, dis, I disrecommend going on. Everyone here makes the wrong decision. <laughs> just constantly wrong. I mean we've kind of, we've confronted this before like we know they're in a horror movie the characters don't so still there's a lot of foreboding signs here that perhaps this is not the best idea and when you finally look up and there's a giant uterus ship staring down at you like hmm that's a telltale let's go back the other way sign right and what's the part where they when did they realize that it wasn't an SOS it was a, it was a warning it's a warning. They were being warned. Yeah, didn't they get? Didn't, didn't, wasn't yeah, there's that? A scene, there's a scene where where Ripley figures out that that the signal they're getting isn't isn't a stress signal. It's a warning signal. Right. Uh, again, Ripley is you know constantly right. Like it's annoying how much she's right, but she's right. She's always right, and no one fucking listens to her. The, the things that I kind of love about Kane scenes in particular because he he's he's the t- the crash test dummy here. He gets lowered into this giant vein of eggs that have uh, a green laser blanket over the top of them, which apparently they borrowed from uh, from a rock band's concert package. They really <laughs> Scott just like, hey, what are you doing with that laser? And like, well, nothing for the next six weeks. It's like, uh, can I use it? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. That laser's from you know should have gone on tour with Led Zeppelin, but. You know, here it is. Uh, and then when he gets close up to the egg, they mounted it upside down so that the drips of sweat off the egg go in reverse. Uh, I, oh. I love that. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, the, the eggs are full of uh, tripe and uh, uh, what they call butcher's lace. Soup. Lots of goop. Uh, they smelled terrible. As it opens up, there's an audible hiss. Like everything is telling you, don't put your face in that egg. Yeah. Something that's always funny about people complaining about uh, Prometheus is the stuff that the characters do in that are not all that different and and inexplicable than what the characters do in this. I would agree. There, there's there's no difference between this and taking off your helmet inside the Prometheus pyramid. My issues are more character based, but we will get to that one and if we decide to extend our alien visit into Prometheus. But. Uh, you're right. It's it's correct. Like he's curious about like who wouldn't be mm-hmm. curious about this? I guess 
Um, but then uh, a big uh, meat flower comes up and stuffs its tube down his throat. And <laughs> um, okay, so we're still talking about this doofus named Kane. So they, yes. <laughs> they take him back. Um, and we have a bunch of scenes where everyone debates how stupid it was to let him back into the spaceship, which it was, but we will get to that later when we talk about Ash. Kane is probably one of those guys who doesn't ask for directions at the gas station when his cell phone uh, dies. He just is like, I can feel like I'm going in the right direction, but it's mm-hmm. not. <laughs> uh, he's I, I, have, I, have a, I have a natural sense of direction. <laughs> exactly. He just <laughs> got that white male component to him. It's like, I feel like I'm doing the right thing and continues to fuck everyone over. Let's just see where this road takes us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So once he's back woken up in his very sexy low cut bodice, um, (laughs) that is the one. Can I, can I make a a comment about John Hurt in this movie? Yeah. I have never thought about, I mean, I always think he's wonderful actor, Mm -hmm. but I've never thought, Oh, John Hurt is cute. Yeah. He's very attractive in this movie. I mean, better than the elephant man. Well, that's true. That's true. I'm not sure that the elephant man could have fit into that bodice. Uh, no, he couldn't have. For a space accoutrement thing, it's very odd. But listen, if you're in the right shape, like you show up to that to the right bar in West Hollywood, like you're gonna get lucky. Is my yeah. guess. Like, yeah, if you I, see. I agree. A, a dancer with that kind of outfit at the Abbey, he's making bank. So uh, they decide, hey, let's all have one last dinner together. Uh, what could possibly go wrong? And in the middle of the salad course, uh, Kane starts to choke. He, They think maybe he's having an epileptic fit. Uh, Yafit Koto tries to shove a spoon into his mouth after Ash kind of like, he kind of lightly goes at it with a left hand. To put yeah. it near his mouth, and Yafiko's like, "Give me that, you fucking idiot!" And tries to stuff it down his mouth, but that's up until the point his chest starts to explode. And this is the point which we tell our audience who might not already know: uh, while the cast here knew something was going to happen in this room, they didn't know how it was going to happen. I love that detail. I love it <laughs> yeah. so much and i love i love pointing that out to people who who have only seen the movie once or twice like did you know they didn't know what this what the suspect was gonna look like <laughs> i think so i i just saw an interview i was watching i was going to deep dive on this and i saw an interview with john Hurd where he was talking about this scene in particular about how they rehearsed it without anybody else yeah in the cast there and that they set up like five cameras or so everywhere so they could just get shots of everyone it's mm-hmm. amazing yeah, it's amazing. The the one that sort of uh, I, everyone always kind of remembers to a certain degree because it's so visceral is Veronica Cartwright reacting mm-hmm. to this blood squirting on her. And she doesn't know what's going to happen because the first time they did it, it the chest exploded, but nothing else happened. So they're like, we're going to set back to one and they kind of wander off jittery like the fuck is going on. And then they don't know that this puppet is going to come right out from the chest and that they have these medical tubes with blood poured into it, that they're just squirting out of it. And just one just whips her in the face a couple times. And her reaction is visceral. She, she got a, she got a money shot of blood right in the face. Yeah. 
<laughs> it is, uh, yeah. For for a movie that's already horny, um, a lot of fluid to the face is kind of taking a, a, an extra step. So <laughs> you already have something shoved down a guy's throat, which again, it's not like he wasn't asking for it. And then uh, this happens and people are freaking the fuck out. Um, what these people don't know is that this is just the first stage of our beautiful baby boy xenomorph. Uh, and so they decide, uh, let's get some nets. Let's get some cattle prods. Uh, let's try and find this bad boy. And that's where we get to, to our, our next uh, wonderful cast member, uh, Brett. Brett, of course, played by the uh, incredible Harry Dean Stanton. Aww. He's a- <laughs> I love him. Yeah. He's great in almost everything. And here, you know, of course, he's working everyone's favorite catchphrase, right? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he's a space mechanic who might be underpaid, but in his defense, he also underperforms. You could say that Brett doesn't have any internal motivation and that while he doesn't like many aspects of his job, he is perfectly suited to simply float along in a metal box wafting through space and you would be right he's like the chillest uh, man alive <laughs> yeah i also love his friendship with yafik koto they seem yeah. like real friends it's great they're in the trenches together they're the yes. rosencrantz and gildenstern of this particular journey Under, yes um you don't think they're going to be the main characters and yet they have a lot to do with the plot pushing a lot i am constantly grossed out by the sequence uh, which Brett meets his untimely demise. Uh, When Brett enjoys the defrosting, greasy ice drip in the maintenance bay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just, you know, taking that pause, it refreshes. Oh, my God. Like, there's no way that all of the water that's dripping on you isn't touched by a terrible space chemical, you know? Like, uh, it's not good. It's not good. And it, it always uh, is very surface level on his skin, the way it's photographed. So it just, it seems clingy and liquid like, but wrong. Yeah. They're on the ship for like, for like years, aren't they? There, there should be like a shower stall he can use if he wants to, you know, to, to freshen up a bit. Yes. No, I'm sure they have a way to have a real shower, but he's kind of like, you know, whatever does in a pinch sort of way. Um, and what most people don't see in this list thing is, is, you know, projected for you in 70 millimeter is that just behind him is the alien crouching upside down like Spider-Man from those chains. It is really. Yes. Yeah. You can see that again. See it in the 4K. But the first time I really caught it was a screening on the Fox lot. Um, that I forced Becky to go see with me uh, after work. And uh, she, she was viscerally upset by him taking off his cap and all oh, luxuriating in this condensation. <laughs> oh, God. You don't know what's up there. You don't know what's up there. Yeah. Um, but uh, Brett, uh, you know, dressed in his constant Hawaiian shirt probably means he listens to Jimmy Buffett. And for that reason alone, he probably deserves to die. Um, (laughs) Brett lived as he died, 
looking for pussy and finding trouble in a dark alleyway. Anyways, oh, you know, yes. is, is you've this. been storing that you've been storing that one in your pocket for years, haven't you? <laughs> yes. If it's, it's one of those, or where the elite meet Simpson jokes that uh, I constantly yes, yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it but, was a good one. Yeah, he gets uh, punched in the head um, by an internal jaw. Uh, that's smaller than the external jaw that appears to have metal teeth. It's very yeah. HR Giger is weird, man. That's what it comes down to. Uh, dude was weird. And he gets carried away upside down, which sounds fucking horrifying to me. Yeah. His yelps in particular sound um, like he's not in control. Like he's very much not in control of what's going on. It's kind of a, oh, 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 Whatever end he's going to is not good. Yeah, we don't see it, but we can imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, in the director's version of uh, Alien, we do have some idea of where Brett is going. And um, uh, that is true of our next character, Dallas. Um, in this version of Alien, because there isn't an unlimited replication uh, availability for this alien... He converts bodies into eggs. So later on when Ripley has her flamethrower and is just searching around for the cat, she finds Dallas and Kane's bodies slowly transforming into alien eggs. And uh, that's where Dallas says, please kill me in a very whispery voice. Um, yeah, oh. I've seen, I have seen, I haven't watched the entire director's cup, but I've seen that clip. Yeah. Um, it's, Ooh, that's disturbing. Yeah. So, it, it, and it sort of makes sense because the alien isn't doing the thing. We naturally assume like, well, hey, this alien boy, he's growing. He, he need to eat. Um, but in truth, he doesn't need to eat. His purpose is to make more xenomorphs. So kills people or uh, stings them with his tail to keep them alive. Uh, and then somehow, uh, through some process we are not privy to, transforms them into an egg so they become future face huggers. So, well, this is like this is sort of yeah, whoa, that's touched upon in, in, in aliens, like all yes. the people sort of like you glommed onto the wall that that's that's yeah. they're all carriers of of uh of you know of the you know baby aliens yes exactly so um in that we have an alien queen so she can actually lay eggs so for that like they bring people back to the hive and kind of they're like honey manufacturers like uh, face huggers pop they launch onto a, a you know a planeteer there uh and we get a new alien so but we really don't know how they eat that is never explained as far as I'm aware in any of the canon uh, or whether or not they need to. They just might exist because they're not carbon based. I don't know. It's just the delightful mystery of Alien. Yeah, I guess I just assumed incorrectly based on nothing that they they ate them, that yeah. they ate Harry Dean Stanton and just we just ate. But yeah, that's oh, this is so much more disturbing. <laughs> Right. I mean, listen, both the alien and aliens version of this where people are like, please kill me. I, I do not want to melt into uh, an alien egg. I don't want to have be forced to give birth to an alien chest burster. <laughs> please kill me. Like both of them fucking suck. Like to pick yeah. your poison. It's really gross. 
Uh, but let's talk more about Dallas as a character. Uh, number one, he's tired, dude. He's tired. <laughs> he's already got that Tom, Sk- that Tom Scarrett perpetually 55 years old look. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he is. And he's not, he's not old here. He's young, but he's just got a hangdog thing that works constantly. Sure. We love him as a silver fox. Um, we love him with just the mustache. But here he goes mustache and beard, and he really wants to go to sleep. He wants to get home. He wants to get paid. He doesn't want to talk to a computer named Mother. He doesn't want to walk several miles to check out a space uterus. He just, Wait, I get it. I get no, he's it. done. He's done with his. He's just done his job. He wants to go home. And that's like his defining trait as a character. He doesn't want to put up with this shit. He's he's pissed that he got woken up, but he's not going to make as big of a deal of it as you know uh, as brett or or parker are but he 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 understands like he gets it he does not want to be doing this he would he is doing his own research he doesn't want to stay outside he would 100 percent swallow horse dewormer let's just Say it right out loud. <laughs> oh, come on. Don't, 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 don't do, don't do Dallas. That's a huge assumption <laughs> about poor Dallas. I mean, I mean, he did, he, he, he did do a pretty brave thing and crawling around those air ducts. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But one could say the, the same thing about drinking your own pee. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you could, but we'll give you that. Dallas reminds me of a dad who's trying every underhanded subterfuge in the book to try to get his family to just pick one fucking Christmas tree already so he can <laughs> go home and watch a football game. Has a seething anger underneath him. It's like, I don't want to be fucking doing this. I want to be doing that. And that's eventually um, when they learn that Brett has died, they figure, okay, we got to corner this alien in somewhere where we can trap him in, in an airlock and jettison him or her they into outer space um and to do that he's got to crawl around the air ducts like like a real uh you know diehard and um it is possible that ash might have given him a sensor unit that doesn't do anything Mm. this this is a current theory that dallas in an effort to subterfuge the capture of the alien or jettisoning of the alien uh, has given all of the crew this this device that quote senses changes in micro density, which won't fucking help them at all in finding this alien. Which is why it's such a surprise when the alien gets him. So there you go. Dallas died as he lived, working his way around a tube that he's uh, just lost inside of and ignoring instructions from a more qualified woman as for where to go. Was he ignoring? <laughs> Do you think he was ignoring the instruction or just got confused? I think he's genuinely confused and he's relying on uh, a piece of equipment handed to him by a man as opposed to instructions from a woman. Uh, that's oh. the vibe I got. I got to watch that part again. Because <laughs> everyone's telling him, like, uh, it's coming down this shaft. He's like, I'm not getting a reading. I'm not getting a reading. The reason he's not getting in rating is because Ash handed Ash you a fucked him. Ash fucked him. Yes. Ash You're right. fucks everybody in this movie. Oh, uh, man. Even fucking Ash, man. Fucking <laughs> Ash. The porno mag. Ash fucks people in this movie. That, um, we got to tell you, that, porn, that mag <laughs> that's going in her mouth. Like, what? <laughs> Who thought of that? 
Uh, that, see, this is the the wonderful thing about a movie that works as well as Alien. Is like it takes everybody from the cast, the crew, the director, the designers, the, con- the people on the conception level. Everyone contributes something fucking amazing. Yeah. And one of the elements that wasn't there originally and comes later is Ash, a man b- robot made of milk condoms by the look of it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, milk and sp- milk and spaghetti. I was gonna say milk balloons, but condoms is better. <laughs> I mean, you're all right. <laughs> we can all be right. It has been said that Alien is perhaps the weirdest, horniest sci-fi movie, <laughs> and um, Ash is a big part of that. Uh, you know, the character was added by Guyler and Hill to be that secondary villain, and he makes some of the most distinct character choices in the entirety of the sci-fi genre. Uh, I, I love I I love this character because he is fucking terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he never. It's one of those situations where he never has to raise his voice. Yeah, he he doesn't get violent until the very end. He's just like he's the way he's just kind of like just staring at everybody, just you know, almost kind of almost kind of almost, almost falling into a kind of Kubrick stare. Yeah, sort of thing, and like he's like weirdly sarcastic and and. You know, even though he's a robot, he knows to be disrespectful to Ripley, you know? <laughs> just to blow off anything she says and acts like he doesn't have to, you know, abide by her directions. And mm. he's just like picking up the very worst qualities of what a male crew member on some on an assignment like this would be. And you can kind of buy it like for, I mean, no, watching the movie and not knowing is he just seems like a kind of like a unemotional, cold scientist like you yeah. can buy it all like yeah it's it's, it's done so well yeah he's yeah and, well, and he's strong 50s 60s scientist trope uh, of sci-fi yeah. horror where he's more interested in the aliens existence and more interested in science than humanity and normally that's just a trope because most human beings don't act that way but it makes a lot more sense when the dude is a robot but even right. he gets excited because when they're going outside, he does that weird jog in place before going to the <laughs> monitoring housing. The robot is excited to see which one of these people is going to get a face hugger to the mouth. Well, because he's he's able to, you know, he's doing his job successfully. Yeah, yeah he was he was sent on this mission with the express purpose of getting one of these things. Uh, yeah, he's absolutely fulfilling that programming, and he's giddy with the the very concept of it. When during that chestburster scene, he just, he is staring eye daggers at Kane, just watching for everything. And on first blush, when you don't know what he is, you think, well, he's watching him for signs of something, but what? And then when you do know what he is, he's watching him for signs of when is this thing gonna what's going to happen to him? Cause I know something's going to happen to him because that face hugger is dead. So either the alien isn't compatible with humans or it is. And I just don't know when it's going to happen. And he's just eating nuts and berries, just giddy. Yeah. <laughs> he's waiting for the show to begin. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he kind of ineffectually tries to put a spoon in Kane's mouth. And <laughs> yanks it out. Uh, and then he goes on to kind of like, subtly undermine what's going on here. And when he talks about the Xenomorph's perfection, 
you this is the first blush of what we would eventually get in Prometheus uh, with the David robot of kind of being horny for this alien. But just like you're just really impressed by it. Yeah. Because, you know, humans are, are messy and they're emotional and they don't listen to you. Yeah. And, and, you know, whereas the aliens are, you know, they have a single minded purpose. They get shit done. Uh, yeah. He's just amazed by their perfection. Um, <laughs> wrote down Ash has more ticks than a shelter dog. That's not, that's not a good joke. <laughs> you know, the, he's one of those characters that also gives this movie the label of gross, right? The same thing that can't, that my, my mom referred to John Carpenter's The Thing as is gross. It's just drippy and gross. Uh, the only movie she hates worse is a movie that takes place at night. Uh, she dislikes Batman movies. And I'm like, why, why, why don't you like Batman movies? She goes, it's, it's okay, but like, why don't you like them? They all take place at night. You know, she doesn't like movies, movies that take place at night. <laughs> That's so funny. Is this they're just they're just too dark, or like she can't see what's happening? Or? Uh, take your pick. Uh, I've tr- <laughs> over the course of decades, I've tried to figure this out, and I've yet to crack that particular. So nut. she only likes the first half of Long Day's Journey into Night. Yeah, that's right. And then it just goes into. Then when it gets into night, she's like, "I'm not gonna. I can't watch this anymore." No. So you could probably you could you could you could you know sit her down have her have her watch say uh, Midsummer. Yeah, exactly. She oh, she's yeah, all that. engaged from that from frame one. <laughs> he is disturbing. So at a certain point, Ripley kind of figures out that Ash has been put on this ship to get this alien back to Earth, and they're kind of expendable. And Ash susses this that she's discovered this, and decides, "Well, I'm going to kill you myself." So they start a battle that includes. Him rolling up a porn mag and trying to stuff it down her throat, almost as if he is replicating what he has seen the alien do. Well, I we we talked about I don't remember what uh what movie we were talking about, but we got on the subject of the scene a little bit, and I had posited that that this is his concept of raping someone that he. He understands the idea that it's forcing something into someone's body that they mm-hmm. don't want. Sure. But I mean, he, you know, I don't, I assume he does not have the parts that, because you know, why would he need that? No. He but, doesn't. you know, he, he, he knows the motion. He knows, you know, how to do it. But this is kind of how he's simulating that because he is seeking to humiliate her for questioning and getting in the way in his, in his mission. Um, yeah. He's smooth down, down there like a Ken doll is my guess. For sure. Yeah, I mean, he, the condoms are inside the body. <laughs> when someone brings condoms over, he's like, why waste that on the outside when they can do so much good inside. on the inside? <laughs> Smooth like a Ken doll. Ash. <laughs> oh, God. He's decapitated um, uh, by uh, Parker, who smacks him over the head multiple times. But that, with- that part where he's, like, freaking out, it's so unnerving yeah it's one of those things that because it's practical looks both silly and terrifying like you could laugh at it uncomfortably or scream at it because it's so hilarious it's both of those things all at the same time and scary it's just well because nobody nobody knows that 
that nobody else knows that he's a robot either. Right. So, exactly. you know, you, you, when you punch someone, you don't expect their, their head to tear halfway off and, you know, start spinning around and making all these like robot glitch noises. That would be just, if you thought about that, like for real, like if you're in life and somebody you've just known you're working with, all of a sudden you found out they were a robot, like it'd be amazing, incredible. <laughs> and they do respond, they accept it very quickly. Yeah. I, in, in a way, they've like probably been, they've probably read somewhere that synthetic robots or might eventually be used in outer space, but the union's preventing it or something along those lines. It, uh, they don't, I mean, it is a far off future. So they're not like, oh, okay, yeah. all right. The way he gurgles and spits milk while he's explaining things, it's just like, Ugh. yeah, that that's another creature designed by a mechanical sexual deviant who kept a large piece of art in his dining room, above his dining room table that contained the brain matter and bullet hole created by his girlfriend's suicide. Again, whoa, HR Giger. <laughs> Uh, brilliant, real weird, y'all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He is. Um. He he was plucked off a different tree. Uh, one hundred percent. It's just something to chat about in between rounds of fondue. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. He basically says, uh, "Wish you luck," and they flamethrow his ass. Um. Right there on the table. Uh. Bye bye, Ash. Uh, nice to know you in Dick Finger quotes. Uh, so this brings us to Parker, where in space, no one can hear you scream unionize. <laughs> Parker is obviously vital to the successful completion of business on board this ship, um, which is a big tanker. Like basically they live on the, the tugboat of this giant spaceship. And most of it is empty space equipment that they don't interact with he just doesn't hold a rank high enough to make any business decisions. Yeah. So in many ways he's in sync with Dallas. Like he'd like this trip to end and get paid, but you know, Wayland Utani as a corporation and corporations are people has other plans. So probably the most telling scene of what makes Parker Parker is when Ripley heads down to the ship's bowels to get a repair ETA and Parker keeps this one pressure valve open. It's just screaming, you know, gas and uh, compressed air. And, and like, he's just big decking her for no particular reason, because as soon as she a exits the room, he turns it off. Right. Like, I didn't want to listen to you in the first place. But in the end, Ripley leaves with the one thing he didn't want to give her, a repair timeline. And then Parker ends up having to open that valve again to actually get the work that he needs to get done, done. It's, it's one of those things where Parker understands what he's supposed to do. He just doesn't want to do it on because someone else tells him. To. I think that Parker in a weird way, I mean, I know Ripley's our hero, but Parker is also one of the most heroic characters in the movie too, because yeah. he's, 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 his ideas are, you know, he's the one who says, let's kill that thing right yeah. away when it jumps out of John Hurt. And mm -hmm. Ash says, no, 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 don't. Yeah, he's the yeah. one who's always like, you know, his best friend gets killed. He's, he just wants that. He's like, he's a, a very active character. Yeah. yeah. He's very proactive throughout the, the course of it. And he's 100%. You can see him, you know, living through this. It's just through uh, happenstance that, that he finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
but he does actively try not to cause harm and save people throughout this. Uh, And for that, it should be commended. You know, he might not be the guy that you love to hang out with at a barbecue, but you would want him on board your ship because he would get shit done. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when they decide finally, now that Ash has told them they're expendable, it's like, well, why don't we get the fuck off the spaceship? <laughs> like, fuck this company, fuck this spaceship, fuck that alien, let's leave. And to do that, they need to do certain things. Uh, one is set the ship for self-destruct, and the other is get a <laughs> bunch of oxygen because the escape vessel doesn't have enough oxygen for three people and a cat. So Ripley goes to uh, find the cat and set the self-destruct and uh, Parker and, uh, and Lambert go off to collect all those extra oxygen tanks. And it is in the middle of that, that uh, Parker ends up uh, uh, finding his untimely end. Uh, Lambert is frozen in front of this alien that basically parks in front of her. And Parker has a flamethrower, but does not want to use it when it would also hurt Lambert. Right. It's it's, it's honestly it's honestly a, a miracle Lambert makes it this far in the movie. <laughs> I mean, she's often not putting herself in in danger's way, um, so that's a component of it. But also, if this thing stood up in front of you, I would also just start crying. I just true, want, true. Yeah. The fair. He's just, trying though. He's telling her to move. He's trying to get her to move, and she's just frozen. Yeah, At the the alien our xenomorph here is just pulling off that big uh, Freddy Krueger move of expanding his arms out way too long, and she's just too freaked out. It's too fucking weird. The last time they saw this thing, it was a tiny penis worm skirting across the floor, mm. and here it is. Uh, a giant penis man. Uh, <laughs> Boy, does he ever. <laughs> he really, he just, he kind of is. It's like, you pick your poison here. Which part of him is more penis than the last? And you're kind of like, I don't know. It's a lot of dicks. It's a lot of dicks yeah. stacked on top of one another. Well, plus when he was little, little penis man, when he popped out of John Hurt, he, he ran off like a Muppet. <laughs> he did. <laughs> So much so that when they recreate the scene in Spaceballs, it yes. doesn't look all that any more ridiculous when it starts singing, hello, my baby, hello, my honey. <laughs> it is entirely ridiculous. It's only the oppressive, ominous, constant, you know, we're all going to die mood that really keeps you in place. And the fact that the thing looks just fucking weird as shit. Yeah, it's frightening. Oh, they make it so close to getting off that ship. Oh, man, they're so fucking close. They're so close. But again, that cat's dicking them around. Let's Okay, is this the movie that, I'm sorry for my ignorance, that started the, that, that they get the phrase save the cat from? I would think not, because honestly, that save the cat move is supposed to happen somewhere in the first act to tell the audience that your hero, okay. while he may not have his life together, isn't a complete asshole because, hey, he saved the cat. Like, that's the idea? And this happens so late in the, what would true, normally true. be the third act. That's a good point. That's a good point. It, maybe the fourth, maybe it's a five-act structure here. Who's to say? I'm not a story. I, call Robert McKee from the grave. All right. Um <laughs> I'm a, I I do marketing. I, I don't do uh, long form. So 
maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's a transmortification of that. Who's to say? But uh, what ends up happening here is that they're just, Lambert is trapped and Parker goes to make a move. And for some reason, he puts the flamethrower down when I think he should be leading with the flamethrower, like push it in one direction and then flamethrow it. But, you know, listen, I'm not saying I would do better in this. Please don't make me think that I'm somehow smarter than Parker is in this situation. Yeah. He ends up uh, getting a, a hole punched in his chest uh, by a tiny mouth. Oh. And uh, and we never find out what happens to her, really. No. So he let's dragged away. Yeah. Uh, let's get into Lambert because Lambert is its own, uh, is really a, its own bag of cats here. Now, the, in the original draft of the alien script, uh, there's a note from O'Bannon and Shuset that said, uh, we intentionally left the genders here vague. Uh, if you want to cast this with all men, all women, a mix of both, you can cast any of these characters in any gender you wish. So later in Aliens, when you when you see the info bubbles come up behind Ripley when she's in the Wayland Mutani uh, boardroom, we see that Lambert uh, is, and I'll quote this directly, is gender reassigned from male to female at birth. Uh, so Lambert is trans. Oh, wow. Can, canonically, I suppose, if you assume that the canon continues past the first movie. So Lambert is an audience surrogate. She's a trans character. She's also the one who constantly falls apart. She's not particularly right a bunch of the time. She's put in a situation she is not prepared for. And they're always been a lot of let's compare and contrast Ripley to Lambert because Ripley is this incredible steward of a, a character who, while she falls apart internally, externally, she just does everything within her power to get through this line. Yeah. And Lambert doesn't. And somehow Lambert is worse for that. But in my mind, Lambert is the audience surrogate. We would, this was, we would be puddles if this happened to us. And I think in the aftermath of learning who Lambert is, it does somewhat change the text of that character, but I am obviously not the, the, uh, the right person to say exactly why, but I do think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, totally. I didn't know that. I, I'd have to now. I've got to see aliens again for that. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that you, people only started noticing when they, you know, started to get high def versions of it because it's very tiny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, one of those things that they felt was an interesting homage to the sort of genderless, gender fluid version of the script that O'Bannon and Trusset set up. Cool. Um, so her death can be read a bunch of different ways. Certainly there's now a, a movie that has kind of leaned into the horror of male rape. We now have what is an allusion to female rape as that tails slides between her legs and starts to come upwards. Yes. Is that spike going into her spine? Is it going somewhere else? We're never told, and our imagination is the is is making up all the horrible things about it. Yeah, it, it, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no matter what, it is bad. The nicest version of this is is that the stinger on the end of the tail is has a neurotoxin that puts you to sleep, 
and she would end up becoming an egg. But she also screams in such a way that something terrible and prolonged is happening to her. And we, again, we only hear it. It's our imagination that is filling in all the blanks and all those blanks are gross and wrong. Yeah. And the scream just stops abruptly. Uh, And we're, you know, you're now you're wrapped up in, in the, in the panic that is Ripley. And so let us talk about Ripley. Why not? Uh, She survives, but she's certainly worth examination. We will come back to her many times. So let's talk about this version of Ripley. Here's the other thing that is the aliens retcon of this character, which is somewhat telling. Ripley was born on a planet in the midst of a viral pandemic. And so when she says standard operating procedure is for you to keep a pathogen outside the spaceship, she is speaking from legit real world experience. That is why she is very put out when Ash says, no, bring him on board. Cause she knows the end game of making that kind of move. And a lot of these people don't, they were not born in that circumstance. And so she is very connected to the idea of do not let a foreign body on board this spaceship. You fucking idiots. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's a, she's, she's all business in this, you know, whereas in later movies, she would react with anger when, when people don't listen to her here, she just seems kind of, you know, both exasper- exasperated and at the same time, pretty much used to this, used yes. to it by this yeah. point. Yeah. Well, in the, in aliens, she definitely has some, you know, PTSD from this thing, right. but like th- what I, you know, when this movie came out, if you were like, before you knew that she was the main character, it's sort of interesting because I could see seeing this and not knowing who, that she's the hero of this movie, because actually in the first shot when they're waking up, the first character that wakes up is John Hurt's character. Yeah. And so you can believe, like, just by storytelling or by movies, go, oh, this is our hero. This is, and he's the first one to die. He yeah. Janet lead the whole thing, you know? <laughs> like, but we don't know. Like, if you did, we now know Ripley's the hero. But at the time, it probably, you know, and she was also, this was her first big movie. So yeah. it wasn't like she was a movie star. So, um I think that's super cool if to be in like one of the first audiences of this movie and not know who really not know who's going to survive. To be, to be honest with you, Yafit Kodo was probably the biggest on-screen presence of any of these actors like Ian Holm, mostly known for stage stuff before this, you know, probably seen here or there. Uh, Tom Skerritt, new on the scene, Harry Dean Stanton doing a lot of indie stuff, probably not that well known. John Hurt, again, another British stage actor. Veronica Cartwright, you know, had been a child actor. And this was more of like, oh, here's the adult Veronica Cartwright, everybody. So, you know, you don't know who's going to uh, live to the end of this if you come in completely cold, which is how most audiences entered this film in 1979, because the marketing for this is so intentionally vague that it could mean anything. You see a bunch of people in spacesuits and people scream, but you have no idea what parts of the movie any of this is happening in, and it really is not trying to tell you. So when stuff happens and she's at the end, like it makes sense now, but at the time she was considered a swerve. Sure. 
And she doesn't talk that much in the beginning of the film. Yeah. She's it's, just it's great. another crew member. Yeah. You know, she's as important as Brett. <laughs> really. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. She's one of those people who seems like she was passed over. You know, she, she probably, she's obviously smart enough to have been a captain. But, you know, space misogyny has kept her, yeah. you know, in a secondary command role for a really long time. And when she sees people who have more authority than her, namely Dallas and Ash, fuck up, she's righteously pissed about it. She tries to keep it together. But when she confronts Dallas in that hallway, it's like, do you know anything about Ash? Do you know who this guy is? And he's like, I don't know, man. I went out five times with a different science officer. This is the first time he's ever shown up on a ship and he was assigned two days before we took off. It's kind of like, I also love her. I also love the way she handled that confrontation with Ash. The way she handled it, she's obviously pissed off about it. And, but she handles it like, it's just great. It's just so like, oh God, I wish I could handle it when I'm that mad and I want to talk to somebody. She's just, she's awesome. (laughs) I obviously have a thing for Ripley and for Sigourney Weaver in this movie and Aliens is a big component of it. But she is legitimately great in this role. Like, you can tell that she's a star the the second she shows up, but you figure like a lot of women in horror movies, she's the star who gets killed about halfway through. And you're like, I can't wait to see her in something else. And it's a, a revelation when she's at the end of this, you know, setting the ship to explode, then realizing she has to find a cat, find a cat, then try to turn it off. And the space computer's like, eh, fuck it. We're still exploding. I love the I love the uh, human touch of her kind of singing to herself mm-hmm. to like I think she, I, I guess to try to keep herself calm to do something non confrontational. <gasps> oh yeah, I did too. I love that. I felt um, very human. It certainly a lot is made of her stripping down in that final sequence on board the life raft. But it should be noted, like, that is also standard. Like, when they get out of the, the space coffins at the beginning of the movie, they're as stripped down as she's getting. Like, that's how you get into those things. You're not wearing a full suit of armor when this happens. So, th- that I mean, yes, obviously the movie is going for a bit of eye candy, but it is not legitimately necessary for her to get into this sleeping chamber uh, in the least amount of clothes possible. Right, and you can also justify it because we know if you're why she has to do that because we know she's gonna have to get into that suit in order to like have the oxygen when she knows she her plan is to knock the alien out of the spaceship and the door's gonna open so she somehow they have to figure out well we got to get her out of her clothes and naked but you know she is walking around the, <laughs> it's the seventies you know she's walking around this. <laughs> The pant, the the underwear, and you know, do the butt crack, all that stuff is like they are not equipping her with proper underwear. No, not at all. That doesn't seem like procedural (laughs) underwear. You know, the world needs more procedural underwear. Procedural underwear. So before he, uh, you know, leaves abruptly, let's talk about our baby boy, our xenomorph. Um, he didn't ask to be born, man. Uh. If you view the creature as a teenager, once he grows into his full form, he begins to make a lot more sense. Like, 
He doesn't want to eat with everyone else. He's got skin problems. He's constantly drooling. He's always skulking off to the loose, dripping chain room. He's transforming living beings into reproductive eggs. You know, teen shit. (laughs) All that's missing is a phone for him to hover over. Uh, He can Snapchat to people. Um, Which, considering the way his jaws work, Snapchat was made for him. Um, In this life raft, the, the genius component of it is that she... Because he looks so much like the spacecraft, because they're all made from the same parts, is that she doesn't notice that he's there until that hand whips out. Oh, my God. That's that scene. I mean, I've seen this movie many times, and I I can tell, I know what's going to happen. You can see, like, its head kind of blending in with the... With the, the the wall, and but it still just you know, has a, a visceral effect on me. Yeah, yeah, and the sound effects and the way it's all glossy, it, it's, it's super weird. And he's tired. This xenomorph has done a lot. Yeah, another teenager thing. Like, uh, I just want to sleep, man. And so. Uh, once she recognizes that uh, this life raft is only big enough for me and this cat, she's got to get rid of this uh, boy. So she slips herself and her tiny inappropriate underwear into a non-procedural a, underwear. Non-procedural underwear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, into a, uh, uh, you know, a, a little uh, space uh, uniform there, uh, an astronaut's, uh, what, words are failing me at this point. And she gets herself a Batman grappling gun, the only weapon she has, takes a seat down, straps herself in, sings a little song, and eventually he's like, all right, all right, I'll come out and I'll stab you with my mouth. And that's when she waits until he just doesn't have anything to grab, opens the door, shoots him, and out he goes. And just when you think it's over, the grappling gun gets caught in the door and he's just dangling out there in outer space. Just like a big, just, just like a big pinata. I mean, I've been bouncing off the ship. <laughs> and making what? his way back on it. Yes, trying to crawl back in through yeah, the, he would the do exhaust it. port. It's just, it's one of those things, like, I've been in an, an audience that you can tell the people who haven't seen it before. And the way they are like exhaustively screaming at this point, like, oh my God, why won't it die? Why won't it die? And yeah, I get it. Why won't it die? Why, why doesn't it freeze in the coldness of outer space? Why is it like, oh, all right, I got, you got me outside, but I'm going to crawl in this exhaust port. Well, <laughs> it, uh, 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 Ash says earlier about him that, what does he say? He's just, he doesn't, not, I mean, I can't remember the line, but he's explaining it so you can't kill it. There's just, he's not going to die by conventional means. And certainly any of the means that you would use in outer space would also kill you. That He's the perfect creature. So the only way to make sure that this, this guy doesn't like, you know, hold on to the wing like a regular Twilight Zone terror at 50,000 feet is to burn him up in the exhaust. And he just becomes splashes of water on the camera as he coasts off into outer space, never to be seen again, or at least until 1986. Yes. <laughs> Anything else to be said about these characters from 1979's Alien? I, I think that they are, you know, for whatever limited time they have on screen, 
they all feel pretty richly drawn to me. They're 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 distinct from each other, which as as is often in the point of our show, uh, you don't really see in a lot of horror movies. The characters tend to be a lot very interchangeable, mm-hmm. and they don't really do anything except stand around waiting to die. Here they 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 look different from each other. They have distinct personalities. It's uh, it's easy to remember their names, which yeah. is something that I I mm-hmm. I've run you and I both run into in the past with trying to keep mm-hmm. characters straight in 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 horror movies. But they you know they give they they give just enough the script give them just enough detail that they feel like actual lived in people. Yeah, yeah. They all feel like they have a backstory, and you. I mean, it's as simple as you know with any movie, whether it's a sci-fi or anything, that you actually care. I care about these people, and I want them to live. You know, I mean, there's other sci-fi movies that are kind of like knockoffs of aliens where I'm like, these just people, these they don't feel like they're they're cardboard cutouts of of people. And so you kind of don't, you're not invested, but these you actually, you get really sad when one of the characters die. They don't feel disposable and discarded. I mean, we started this talking about Friday the 13th characters, and those those are absolutely disposable and discarded uh, characters. And the joy of the show is trying to give them an interior life because they didn't actually possess one. And here we don't actually have to do that. They possess multitudes and we're given a lot of information in very short, intense bursts as to who they are, as they interact with one another, as the plot moves along. And yet Gene Siskel found these characters to be eh, like, eh, I barely know anything about them. Uh, he really likes the uh, art design, but he wasn't a fan of the actual characters, which I still held on to when he gave a thumbs down review of aliens and said, uh, if you thought the alien characters were disposable, I don't know who any of these characters are. And I'm like, fuck, what movie did you watch, man? You know, Gene was not always right. <laughs> no, he was not. Gene was not always right. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Gene was many things. He was right all the time. Was not not all. No. Um. So here we are. We're left at that point in the show where we choose our own death venture, and that is where we decide of the deaths presented here in Alien. If you were to die that way, which one would you choose, and why? So up for bid. They're all kind of the same, but they're all a little bit different. We have give birth to a space penis over dinner. Uh, getting head from a xenomorph, literally. Uh, a nice hug, and then you melt into an alien egg. Uh, get your head knocked off, then asked a bunch of questions that you decide to answer for a particular <laughs> reason before you're incinerated. Uh, get a hole punched in you by an alien mouth. Uh, something happens to you with that tail and an egg go no. fun from the sound of it. Uh, you done blown up good. Or you get a grappling hook through the torso, get towed behind a spaceship, until you crawl into the exhaust port, but then you get burned to death in the cold hell of outer space. So, Mitch, you are a guest. Oh, my goodness. I choose you to go first. Okay, I have to go with the way uh, John Hurd's character died. Okay. Bursting out of my chest. I mean, yeah, you'd have to writhe around in pain for a while, but Mm -hmm. it's over. (laughs) You don't get turned into an egg. You don't get possibly... Um, like getting some weird alien arm going up your leg and doing who knows what, you know, mm-hmm. it just, it's a burst and you're probably not even conscious. And I don't know if you're part of LA's hiking culture. So maybe that walk isn't as intimidating to you as it might be to a person like myself. 
So you're not afraid of that? Well, walking, going out and getting my, you mean that part of it? I thought, yeah. I mean, no, I don't want that part. I thought you were talking about just like if a baby, the aliens, no, I guess you're right. I'd have to go through that whole mission. That's but, part and parcel of how it works. Yeah, That's, yeah. I, I, oh, I'm just talking about the death part. But <laughs> can it just happen? <laughs> You have to eat a nice salad first. So oh, that's the other thing. Yeah, I guess I'm still sticking with it. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Gina, what say you? I also am going to uh, to take Kane's way out because, A, I enjoy a good salad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, B, uh, I've, ha- I've experienced kidney stones. Okay. So, so I, I, I know from intense abdominal pain. Uh, and three, um, you know, nobody's going to forget that. If I do that in front of somebody, no one's in the people they're going to 30 years from now is going to be like, wow, remember that same burst out of Gina's chest and she died. And people are like, I do remember that. That was crazy. Yeah. That's and, and you I don't have be, to put I, that on your gravestone. Everyone's going to know that story. Right. That's going to go on like the book of lists is like weirdest death. <laughs> also, I feel like to add to it, I think part of, he was the one who was unconscious. He's unconscious during some of this stuff too. Yes. So yeah, once, that helps. Once, yeah. Once that uh, uh, face hugger uh, gives deep throats him, he's pretty much out like a light. And then he wakes up and he's like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. Feeling, yeah, he's good, feeling good for a while. <laughs> yeah, he was, in perfectly, he was in a perfectly good mood before, uh, you know, he was jolly before this thing started coming out. <laughs> he, was, yeah. he was jolly. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing till the end. Well, there's so many things that you could do here that I just don't want to do. And part of me, you know, I've had organs taken out and I wasn't a big fan of that either. I'm just going to get the hole punched in me by an alien mouth. Mm. I just, I've seen that tiny alien mouth so many times and it looks like Parker just goes sleep, sleep, night, night, pretty fast after that. He goes, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of lead up to it though. <laughs> I mean, you are, you are going to spend your last couple of minutes just, you know, in utter terror. True. But I don't think you're going to have a, an alien punch out of your chest and you're like, well, another Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> so pick your poison. I mean, it's either coming in or going out. That's what's, that's what you're left with. I'm just in no way, shape or form dying by transforming into a fucking egg. No, thank you. I was also thinking we don't really know how Dallas dies, but then hearing that story about, oh, that's awful. So if you don't watch the director's version, he just probably gets uh, an alien punch to the face that he's out. But now that you know that you're slowly melting into a Yankee candle that transforms into uh, a face hugger, like... That's that's a hard pass for me. Yeah, that's no good. So uh, before we go, of course, we like to do plugs. Mitch, uh, where can people find you on social oh. media and hear about what you're doing right now? <laughs> I got it was so dark, and now I have to talk about my social media. Um, this is the way the show works. It's, We're all about death. Great. I am on Instagram uh, and uh, under Mitch Silpa Picks, and I'm on Twitter under my name at Mitch Silpa. Excellent. And then uh, you and Drew Drogi are doing your show at uh, Dynasty Typewriter. Yes. Is, is this uh, prepared in advance? Are you, is this improv? It's all doing? written. We did it, it. We actually did it there in November and it, it sold out and it was super fun. And so we're doing it again uh, in February. And uh, it's, it's uh, just all seven sketches that we wrote. 
Um, and, uh, it's, that's, that it's, so it's all written and maybe mm. we'll improvise <laughs> in while we're doing it, but it's all, it's technically all written. And of course, if, if people want a sample of what you and Drew do, you have been doing, uh, occasionally over the pandemic, uh, a, a sketch of, of, uh, two elderly gay men who seem to know tidbits of old Hollywood history yeah. and you just spit them at one another. Yeah, it's called uh, Two Old Queens Who Just Have a Minute to Catch Up. And we've done, <laughs> we done, it, it's just the, all the videos are like a minute, a minute, 15 seconds. Just these two older gay men who are calling each other and they, for what, they always have a different reason why they only have a minute to talk on the phone. His are always just, he's panicked, but it's like the the reason's just light as air. And mine is like <laughs> deadly serious, but I say it light as air. <laughs> and then all they do is just drop every sort of celebrity from every era. And it's not just movies, it's also songs and Broadway. And there is... It's just Drew and our, it's basically our conversations, <laughs> but just condensed. And we love saying, just some you'll know, some celebrities, you're like, who's that? And it doesn't matter. Um, uh, the, just the, 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 some of them, it's one of those things where I think if someone were 20 and they heard all this, they'd have to keep a Wikipedia open just to know like, who's <laughs> Stephanie Powers? I again? have to tell you that there's been a surprising amount of people who are in their twenties who love it and they do <laughs> get it. And then there's people who are like in their forties, they're like, I don't know who any of these people are. So I don't know. I think either you're interested in esoteric references or not. It's not an age thing. Oh my God. But it makes me just double over in laughter every single oh, time thanks. I see it. And um, I love both of you. I think well, we're doing those characters in one of the sketches. So they are in the show that we're oh. doing. Oh my God. That is so fantastic. So people, if you're in LA or even if you're not travel, it's a great time to do it. Travel here. <laughs> to see that show. Uh, fantastic stuff. Gina, where could people find you on these here internets? I write about movies and television at thespool.net. Um, by the time this goes live, I will be covering the this year's Sundance Festival uh, mm-hmm. from the comfort of my own couch. Uh, and I will have reviewed um, the new Scream and uh, season three of Apple TV's Servant. Um, and I am on Twitter and Instagram under Gina Does Things. That's G E N A. Do it today, people. Check it out. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, all those places. You can uh, help support us on Patreon, where we're doing fun things like uh, this month we watched Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which is a fantastic film that was a listener choice. And, of course, in a mere few days, you'll get to hear our Halloween commentary, where uh, you asked us to cover Halloween, and this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to give you a film commentary you could watch along with the movie, uh, and so far, we found great things, like every Halloween movie has someone's butt hanging in the window. Um, that's Ooh. a thing that we did not know carried through Halloween movies. So we'll see if that continues in Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Um, as far as reviews, we always love you to review us on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all of the places. Um uh, this month we got uh, Gail Kuntz gave us a great five star uh, uh, review, and Space Tory said that um, uh, we are witty and funny, which we'll always take. And then as far as her favorite kill that we've covered, Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it's uh, student bodies being paper clipped to death uh, by the breather. 
so uh, uh, that's a great death. If you're going to go out, multiple paper clips to the face is the we way can't to go. We can't talk about student bodies enough. <laughs> we really can't. <laughs> we keep, <laughs> it keeps pulling us back in. So that just about does it for now. But don't worry, folks. The body count will continue for Mitch and for Gina and myself. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Yeah, Patrick, your number is your number is going all over the place. Like it was like at 129, then it jumped up to like 700 and something. Oh man, what is going on? It I'm really beginning to think it's me. But of course, of course, it's yeah. Sure. And most we, of the time it's me. Most of the time it is you, but now it's my time to fuck everything up. It's, well, I thought it was me, so I think we're all <laughs> really sweet people. <laughs> 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 well, that we can agree on. Yes. 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 <laughs>